Today's scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 15 and chapter 16. Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. They came to Marah, but they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That is why it was named Marah. The people grumbled to Moses, What are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. The Lord made a statute and ordinance for them at Marah, and he tested them there. He said, If you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, pay attention to his commands, and keep all his statutes, I will not inflict any illnesses on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where they were 12, there were 12 springs and 70 date palms, and they camped there by the water. The entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, after they had left the land of Egypt. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make us and this whole assembly die of hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way, I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, This evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the Lord's glory, because he has heard your complaints about him. For who are we that you complain about us? Moses continued. The Lord will give you meat to eat this evening and all the bread you want in the morning, for he has heard the complaints that you are raising against him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses told them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some gathered a little. When they measured it by quarts, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus, and the person who gathered a little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. Moses said to them, No one is to let any of it remain until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some people left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. Therefore Moses was angry with them. They gathered it every morning, each gathered as much as he needed to eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. 
On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, four quarts apiece, and all the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and set aside everything left over to be kept until the morning. Yet on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they did not find any. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? Understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he will give you two days' worth of bread. Each of you stay where you are. No one is to leave his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Moses told Aaron, Take a container and put two quarts of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be preserved throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron placed it before the testimony to be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they reached the border of the land of Canaan. They used a measure called an omer, which held two quarts. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, This morning, as both Steve and Eric reminded us, we are going to be jumping back into our series in the book of Exodus. And so we're going to camp out here for the next five weeks, and then uh, we're going to jump into the book of James uh, through the spring into the early summer, Uh, and then we'll do our normal psalm series that we do in the summer, and then we'll go back into the book of Exodus, specifically focusing on the Ten Commandments uh, come this fall. And so we're just going to be here for a few weeks, uh, but it's going to be a, a good look into a very distinct part of the book of Exodus. And if You remember, we kind of summarize where we were this past fall. The book of Exodus is the great rescue and redemption story of the Old Testament. After 430 years of slavery, uh, Israel is rescued and redeemed powerfully by the Lord. The Lord raises up Moses as a leader, and through Moses, God executes his judgment on Egypt through a number of plagues. And then through the, the Passover, Israel is brought out of Egypt. They are rescued, they are redeemed. But Pharaoh is stubborn to the end, and so he chases after uh, Israel into the wilderness, and then God executes his ultimate judgment on Pharaoh and the army of Egypt by drowning them in the Red Sea. And what we saw in Exodus chapters 1 through 15 is that time after time after time, God shows his people, he shows Moses, he shows Pharaoh, he shows Egypt, that he is the Lord that he is the one true, sovereign, powerful God who is faithful to rescue and redeem his people. And so we are picking up the story right on the other side of the Red Sea. God has powerfully rescued his people. He split open a sea. They passed through as if it was dry land. And then as Egypt's army chased after him, he dumped the sea right back on top of him, wiping out the most powerful army in the world. Now, if you were Israel... And you had just witnessed that incredible act of redemption after all the plagues and the Passover, and then you see that happen, what would you expect to come next? What would you expect life as a rescued and redeemed people to be? God has just brought you out of hardship. I'm guessing there was probably a part of them that thought, hey, let's get to the promised land. Let's get to that land flowing of milk and honey. Let's experience some comfort and some ease and some blessing." But that's not where God leads them. 
God, by his presence, does not lead them into comfort and ease. He leads them into the wilderness. He actually leads them into difficulty, a place that is anything but comfortable and easy. And so can we just be honest for a moment here? If you've become just too familiar with your Bible or just you read your Bible just kind of uh, just passively, you may miss the, the impact here. Like, what? Really? Like, you rescued us out of hardship and slavery, and you're leading us where? The wilderness? Like, if there's not something that sort of unsettles you there a little bit and causes you to question, I wonder about your expectations. I wonder about how you, you, you think about how God is going to treat his people. Maybe that doesn't surprise you at all because you're just so cynical. You're like, that, that makes complete sense to me because that's how God treats me. But here is Israel on the other side of the Red Sea. And God is leading them into a place they did not expect. Leading them in ways that they come to argue against and grumble against. What is God up to? Well, why would God rescue Israel out of one hardship only to lead them into another? I want to ask you this. How many of you are familiar with a thing called a stress test? Some of you are like, yeah, it's called parenting. <laughs> well, stress test, by, by stress test, I do not mean a test to see how stressed out you are in life. <laughs> no, stress tests are done on things like a building which tests if there are any weaknesses in the structure. Is the building structurally sound? You can do stress tests on organizations or systems to see if any sort of outside uh, occurrence or unintended consequence or, or any sort of threat could do damage to the system. And so stress tests are intended to show weaknesses, are intended to reveal vulnerabilities in order for that system or uh, that building to, to, to be stronger, to, to remedy those weaknesses. Stress tests, on one hand, can appear to be trying to inject damage into something. Like, I want to push on this thing to expose its weaknesses. I want to, I want to lean in on this thing and maybe even cause some cracks, maybe even cause some pain, some struggle, some duress. But it's done so in order that whatever is being tested would have longevity. The, the, the purpose behind a stress test is not destruction, but it's actually endurance. It is actually growth and health. And really, throughout the pages of Scripture, both before the book of Exodus and after, the wilderness is where God does his stress testing. God sends people into the wilderness in order to test and to try them in order to expose them, because the wilderness was a harsh place. You had harsh weather and scarcity of resources. There was dangerous threats from the elements and from animals and from those that were trying to steal your resources. There was a little bit of like Mad Max going on out in the wilderness. It, it was not the place that you would go for a vacation. But it was out in those elements, out in the danger and the harshness of the wilderness, that God would place his, a person or his people under duress, under pressure, under strain, under even pain, to stress test them. 
And in that stress test, was God trying to crush and destroy people? Was he trying to bury them in doubt and guilt and fear and shame? Absolutely not. God's purpose for his people in the wilderness was not to destroy them, but to strengthen them. It was not to defeat them, but to help them endure. It was not to crush them, but to refine them. You see, God was after Israel's whole heart. He wanted them to walk in a mature faith, not a double-minded faith, not a half-hearted faith, and not a faith that wavers every time circumstances change, but a sure and solid and confident, mature faith. And God, friends, God does the same for us. God is after our mature faith as well. So the title of my message this morning is Stress Test. And here is the central truth for us from God's Word. In your need, trust and obey the Lord who provides. Here is the central point of this passage for us this morning. In your need, trust and obey the Lord who provides. You see, we too, like Israel, we, we too are in a wilderness. Like, we aren't in the promised land. Jesus has not returned and restored and renewed all things, has he? We are still on a journey. We still are in a place of hardship and pain and suffering. Yes, there's much blessing, there's much beauty, there's much good. But we are in the wilderness, make no mistake. And in this journey, God is up to something. God is stress testing us, not to crush us. Not to bury us, but to strengthen us. He's refining our faith. And so, let's do what 1 Corinthians 10 tells us to do. Let's learn from Israel. Well, let's look at the example of Israel and what God had said and did with Israel so that we can learn what God is up to with us in our own wilderness journey. And so, what I want to do as we walk through uh, the, the, these two stories is I want to follow a pattern that is present in the texts. Throughout the, the, the wilderness journeys, the stories of Israel's wilderness journeys, there's often a pattern that emerges. Pain, protest, and provision. And, and so there'll be some circumstance or event that causes pain, and then Israel will cry out in protest, and then God in his grace will provide provision. And so we're going to move through both these passages by, by following this pattern and see what God's word has for us. So in Exodus 15, 22-23, we read, Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. They came to Merah, but they could not drink the water at Merah because it was bitter. So Israel had been in the wilderness for some time. Depending on how long you, you, you kind of gauge how, how long it had been since they'd left Egypt, they were at least in the wilderness a week, if not longer. And so if you think about a massive amount of people traveling at a good clip with tons of supplies and tons of, of livestock and cattle, water was going to get used up very quickly. And so within a week or so, they're already at a place where they're running out of water. And so they come upon this water source. And I'm sure they're thinking, great, here's some water for us. There's not a lot of water sources in the wilderness. Here's one. We're in luck. And then they taste it and they drink it and it's bitter. Like I, I went into the original Hebrew and did some study here and, and literally what the Hebrew says tastes like coffee. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. 
God's word says tastes like cotton. <laughs> the point is, the water was, was unusable. It was undrinkable. It was bitter. Now, now, think about this for a moment. How did Israel get to that water source? Did they, were they just kind of wandering on their own looking for a water source and then they just happened to stumble upon it, take a drink? Oh man, we're out of luck. That didn't work. Let's go find the next one. No. God had led them there. Like they were following the pillar of, the cloud and the pillar of fire. God had led them to this distinct water source. And so again, you can imagine, what is going on, God? What, why? And so in that moment, in that desperation, in that pain, Israel begins to protest. What are we going to drink? What are we going to drink, Moses? What are we going to drink? This water's bitter. What are we going to do? But in that moment of protest, in that moment of pain, God is gracious to them. He, he provides for them. He directs Moses to take a tree or a tree branch and throw it into the water, and then the water becomes drinkable. Now, is there imagery in that tree? Possibly. The text doesn't really tell us. But the bigger point is this. God instructed Moses to do something. Moses did it. He was obedient. And there was blessing there. There was provision there. And here, the Lord makes it very clear his purpose, like what he's going to be up to in, with Israel in the wilderness. He sets an expectation, verses 25 and 26. The Lord made a statue and ordinance for them at Merah, and he tested them there. He said, if you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, pay attention to his commands, and keep all his statutes, I will not inflict illnesses on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Israel, the tests that you're going to face, the trials and the hardships that I'm going to lead you into and through, all of that is a stress test to see if you will listen to my commands and follow the things I tell you to do. And here's your promise. Blessing if you do. Blessing if you listen to my word and trust in me and obey me. But if you do not, if you rebel and reject against the Lord's commands, then the same judgments that fell on Egypt are going to fall on you. God is making it very clear. Listen, Israel, you're not a special case. You're not outside the need to come under my authority and follow my word. Yes, I rescued and I redeemed you. But if you want blessing, then trusting in me and obeying my commands. And, and notice what it says paying very close attention, meaning following with all that you are, then there will be blessing for you. If not, judgment. And God is testing their obedience. God is testing to what extent they are going to actually follow the Lord's commands and trust in Him. And as a sign, as, as a as sort of a, a seal to the blessing that God is going to give them, He leads them to 12 fresh springs and 70 date palms, and those numbers are not random, 12 fresh springs, one for each, representing each tribe of Israel, sort of perfect provision for the people. And then the, the 70 date palms, and if you, you remember at the beginning of Exodus, there's a small little detail that talks about when Jacob and his family came into Egypt to meet Joseph, how many people were in their party? 70. And so it's talking about this and, and sort of reflecting back on this provision that God gave to the people or to, to Jacob and his family as he brought them into Egypt. God is going to take care of you. He's going to bless you. He's going to sustain you. And so there's great promise and provision here, even in the midst of trial and hardship. 
And then moving on from that location at Elam, they come to the wilderness of Sin. And it says, on, and, 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 on, and this, on the 15th, 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. Which if you're doing the math, they have, been, they have left Egypt, they've been gone from Egypt for a month. They've been traveling for a month. And again, this many people, this many livestock, moving at a good clip, you're going to use up your resources very quickly. Like, like parents, families, you know how this goes on a long road trip. Like the food is gone just like that. This is not hard to believe that they would be asking for food. They are, they are human beings living a very human experience, facing very human problems. And so they get to this place where they're out of food. And so they ask, how are we going to eat? It's a fair question. It's a fair question. But here's the problem. Here's where it turns. Their questioning becomes grumbling. It says they grumble against Moses, which really is grumbling against the Lord. And they don't just grumble. They don't just grumble. They do something remarkably stupid in one sense, but again, remarkably human. They said, it would have been better if God would have killed us with the Egyptians. Like, at least in Egypt, we had meat pots and bread. Out here, we're going to die of starvation. Essentially, we want to go back to slavery. It would have been better to die in slavery than to be set free and be in the wilderness. They're so focused on their pain, so focused in the moment, so focused on, on this trial, this lack, that they actually start longing for the very things God freed them from. That they start asking God, God, just judge us and put us out of our misery. Again, very human. But do you see just how deep their lack of faith went? God's stress tests their faith. And they're grumbling. They saw God drop ten plagues on Egypt. They saw God part a sea and dump it on the Egyptian army. He had just turned bitter water into fresh water. Over and over and over and over again, he's provided for them. But here they are again. God, just kill us. There's grumbling. When there's stress test, it shows that they lack faith. And so here's the question that this provokes us to ask ourselves. When you are faced with the trial and the struggle and the hardship of the wilderness... In particular, when you are confronted with your weakness and your vulnerability and something you lack, how do you respond? Like when you're stress test, what emerges? Trust and obedience in the Lord who provides or grumbling, complaining, or even more, do you run back to the very things Jesus freed you from? Like, do you run to and try to find comfort and stability into the very things that God freed you from? Yes, Jesus freed me from trying to craft my own identity through pretending and performing and, and trying to earn everybody's approval. But that just feels so much more stable than having to trust God for my identity, so I'm going to go back to trying to impress people and make them like me. Like, Jesus set me free from, from being obsessed with money 
and, and having to have material possessions and comfort. But you know what? Trusting him for my daily bread and my provision, that just feels so unstable and difficult to do. I will run, go back to the slavery and be enslaved to my possessions. Or I know Jesus set me free from being codependent in relationships, but you know what? That just feels so much more comfortable than having to navigate the mess of relationships, and so I'm going to run back to the slavery of codependency. Like, we could go on and on and on. How many things has Jesus set us free from? But when he brings us out into the wilderness to trust him, and it feels unstable, it feels difficult, we'll run back to the stability and security of slavery. Friends, far too often, far too often, because in one sense, those things do feel more stable. They they, they do feel more comfortable. They do feel like they ease the pain of the wilderness. But that's the lie. The truth is they're just numbing your pain. The truth is they're actually enslaving your soul and your body. And when you're stressed, test. The lack of faith, the lack of obedience, and more so the slavery that you have willingly stepped back into gets exposed. Friends, I know that is a hard thing to wrestle with. It's a hard thing to come to grips with. But friends, this is what the stress test does. It exposes this. Not to shame us. Not to crush us. But to free us. To strengthen us. To deepen our faith. This is what God is after. Now, you may be here this morning and maybe you're just in this place where you don't even want to admit that you're enslaved. Like, like I don't struggle. I got this. I don't need to depend on Jesus. I don't need to depend on anybody. I'm, I'm doing okay on my own. I don't struggle with money or possessions or relationships. Hey, let me, let me just say to you, and, and maybe I know you, maybe I don't, but I just want you to know, and I say this with all love in my heart, you're lying to yourself. One day that is going to come crashing down. But even more so, you're enslaved and you don't know it. Like you're, you're like an, Egypt, or an, an Israelite sitting in Egypt in front of a meat pot with bread in his mouth and going, what slavery? Slavery? What are you talking about? Friend, your pride will enslave you. The stress test is intended to show you your need, intended to show you what you put your hope in. And so Israel cries out in protest. They cry out in sinful protest, but the Lord still shows himself faithful. It says in verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. The Lord is faithful to his people. He's going to provide food for them. But in doing so, look closely, verse 4, in doing so, that too is a stress test. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. The Lord is going to give Israel very specific instructions about gathering the bread. And the instructions are going to expose whether they're truly trusting in the Lord or trusting in something else. It's going to expose the strength or the weakness of their faith and their obedience. 
And so here's the instructions. Here's, here's sort of the contours of the instructions. Each morning, they were to go and they would receive the bread. They didn't make it themselves. It was from the Lord. And they were only to collect what they needed for that day. Not for multiple days, not a week's worth. This wasn't like a heart, normal harvest where you get as much as you could and put it into a storehouse. It was only for that day. Israel was to trust God for their bread each and every day. And when they only took bread for the coming day, when they acknowledged their dependence, when they trusted in the Lord and were obedient to the God who, was their, who provided for them, they were exercising faith. They were exercising trust. They were exercising obedience. But when they took more than they needed, when that was no longer the bread of faith, the bread of fear, there's a telling detail in 16 verse 18. When they measured it by quartz, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus, and the person who gathered a little had no shortage. Whoever gathered more than the, the amount they were supposed to had nothing left over, but those who took little, meaning they didn't take more than they needed, had no lack. God provided. There was one exception to the, the gathering rule, and that was on the Sabbath. So they were to rest on the Sabbath. And so on the day before the Sabbath, they would collect enough for two days. And so on the seventh day, they wouldn't have to collect any. Even that showed trust and faith in the Lord. I'm going to trust that there is going to be enough even on the days I don't work. God is going to provide for me. When they trusted in God to provide for all their needs, there was plenty. Their needs were met in abundance. But when they gathered in fear, when they put their faith in having enough, when they put their faith in abundance rather than the Lord, that abundance actually vanished. In fact, as 1620 says, any excess bread gathered and stored would begin to rot with maggots and worms and stink. Ever seen rotten food, rotten bread? It's not a pleasant sight. And that's what would happen when they try to take matters into their own hands. And so the Lord provided. But the way he instructed Israel, the stress test he was giving them was this, are you going to trust me or the provision? Is your hope in me, the Lord, or is your hope in material resources that I give you? As long as you can get enough of the material resources, you're fine, but you don't really want to trust in me. And so there's a test here to see where they were truly put in their faith. And so friends, we may not outright be running back to Egypt we may not be going, yeah, give me, give me the slavery of Egypt again. But we can still sell obedience short. We'll trust him to a degree, but not when it gets really difficult. And so does the stress test of the wilderness you are facing reveal a double-mindedness in your heart? Half-hearted obedience. Obedience to a degree, but not all the way. Like, I'll ease up on being busy but not to such a degree where I have to actually trust the Lord. I'll rest some, but not to where I actually have to let go of control and trust the Lord. I'll be generous with my money and my resources some, but not to the point where it hurts and I actually have to trust the Lord. I'll engage community some, but not to the point where I actually have to trust God with people. I'll deal with my junk some, but not to the point where it is painful and I actually have to trust the Lord. 
I'll be obedient with my sexuality some, but not to the point where I really need to trust the Lord. I'll be obedient with alcohol and food and pleasure and entertainment some, but not fully being obedient and trusting the Lord. Friends, where does the stress test reveal half-hearted obedience? Where does the stress test show you're willing to trust the Lord to this degree, but not fully trust Him, fully obey Him? In your need, are you trusting and obeying the Lord who provides or something else? Do you grumble and complain? Or do you trust the Lord that he is good and that he provides? This is the stress test that God was bringing Israel into in the wilderness. This is the stress test that he brings us into in the wilderness. God, friends, the things that are happening in your life, the pain, the struggle, all of that wilderness experience, in that God is communicating something to you. He's revealing to you where are you putting your hope and your trust? Where are you, what are you depending on? What are you going to for strength and comfort and wisdom? So much gets exposed in us in the wilderness experience. So much comes out of us. We may think we're very patient people and then something happens and we realize we're not. We may think we're very generous people, but then something happens and we realize we're actually pretty tight-fisted. We may think we're very loving and forgiving people and then we get into conflict with someone and realize we're not. Like so much gets exposed in the wilderness, but for our good. Because in revealing those things to us, what is God showing us? He's showing us our true need. He's showing us what we actually need, what we actually are holding on to, what we need to turn from in order to find true provision and freedom in Him. Because here's the good news for us, friends. The stress test that is ultimately for our good, because it's in the midst of the stress test that we're going to see the glory of God and know that He is the Lord. As Moses and Aaron were instructing Israel regarding the bread, just before God was going to provide them, it says the glory of the Lord shone. They, they saw the glory. Some, it's not exactly, um, it doesn't describe exactly what's happening, but it, it seems like the, the glory cloud or that, that pillar of fire just sort of flamed into this glorious appearing, and so that the, the people of Israel would see the glory of God is shining. He's going to provide for us. And then the Lord says, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to provide for you. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. The Lord is saying, in this you're going to see my glory and you're going to know who I am. You're going to know my goodness. You're going to know my power. Just as the Lord showed them his faithfulness and his power and his glory in Egypt, he's going to show them his faithfulness, his power, and his glory in the wilderness. Just as they knew he was the Lord in Egypt, they're going to know that he is the Lord, their God, in the wilderness. Friends, God's love and power and grace and faithfulness to save you out of sin is the same love and power and faithfulness to sustain you in the wilderness. God doesn't rescue you to abandon you. He rescues you. He transforms you. He sets you free. He forgives you and brings you into the wilderness to refine you, to purify you, to make you more like Jesus, to deepen your trust and deepen your obedience in him. Why? Because there is blessing. There is life. 
There is real freedom and joy and peace and comfort. God brings us into the wilderness to get Egypt out of us, so to speak. He brings us out of Egypt, but he's still got to get Egypt out of us. He's up to something good, up to something glorious. And in all of that, here's what you're going to see. The Lord. You're going to see his goodness and his faithfulness and his power. You're going to see who he truly is. As Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, will he not now graciously give us all things? Is it not true that the one who gave his son, Jesus Christ, if he went that far, will he not provide for you? Will he not give you all things? Because friends, God's provision was not ultimately in water and bread. His providing bread to Israel was not so much, it was about so much more than just giving them something to eat. Because as Jesus says to us in John 6, 48 through 50, I am the bread of life. And he says this to the nation of Israel, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Look, physical bread nourishes physical life. But even if we eat enough bread in our days, we are still going to die. But Jesus, the bread of life, nourishes us for eternal life. Feasting on him, we never die. Like our greatest need is not just physical needs. It's not physical provision. Jesus provides, as important as those things are, as important as those things are, our greatest need is spiritual. Our greatest need is something that material possessions can never give us. Wealth can never give us. Comfort can never give us. Relationships can never give us. We need to be set free from sin. We need to be forgiven. We need to be cleansed. We need to be made whole. We need to be established in right relationship with God and one another. And praise God through Jesus Christ, that's what he does. Jesus is the provision for our sin through Christ in his death and resurrection. We are forgiven of our sin. Every single sin we are forgiven of. We are set free from sin. We are washed clean of our shame and we are made right. We are brought into the family of God as beloved sons and daughters of God, welcomed into the family, blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Jesus is the provision for our identity, making us children of God, welcomed in love. Jesus is the provision for any relational unhealth and reconciliation we need, reconciling us to God, but reconciling us to one another so we can walk in relationship with one another. Jesus is the provision for our physical and mental and emotional struggles, the pain we carry in our body, in our mind, in our hearts. Like Jesus brings his peace and his comfort even in the midst of darkness and struggle. Listen, and as Eric pointed out before he dismissed us for the greeting, like there is prosperity gospel teaching out there that'll, that'll lie to you and make you believe that you can live this life free of all sickness and illness and disease and pain. It isn't true, that isn't biblical. But Jesus offers us something better, himself in the midst of that, his comforts, with the hope that one day when he does return, he's going to heal and restore our bodies. But right now, Jesus is our provision. Right now, Jesus brings comfort, comforts and care in the midst of our sickness and our disease. And Jesus is the provision 
for the ruin and the wreckage of our world that we face every day. One day his kingdom will set all things right. It will bring true justice and wholeness to all things. It will wipe sin and evil from this universe forever. What is it that you need? What provision do you need? In the midst of the stress test, what is the need that is revealed? Whatever it is, friends, Jesus provides. Whatever it is you need, whatever it is you lack, whatever comfort, whatever hope, whatever strength, whatever sustenance you need, Jesus provides. So yes, I know the wilderness is hard. I know the wilderness is hard. Some days it is enough just to get out of bed and face it another day. And some days we we come home and we go to bed and we're just like, please not another day. Like, I get it. We can be in some desperate, desperate positions. And one of the things that I love about Scripture is it doesn't shy away from the rawness and the realness of the pain. But what do we do? Like, what do we do? Where do we run? What do we put our hope in? Where are we finding security and comfort and stability? Is it the slavery of Egypt? Is it in half-hearted obedience where we're really kind of just trusting in God but mostly trusting in ourselves? Or is it in Christ? The bread from heaven, true nourishment that nourishes us to eternal life, true hope, true comfort, true peace, true provision. Friends, in your need, in your need, trust and obey the God who provides. Let's pray.